Morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs this morning. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12 is where we will uh, begin this morning. What an awesome seeing all those people getting baptized on the screen. Can we celebrate that one more time, church? Amen. Yeah, okay, now that... That's kind of like y'all's best golf clap. You know, you're like, yeah, oh yeah, that's great. Here's the problem at Orchard Church. We have so many people that get baptized on a regular basis that you guys just get used to it and you take it for granted like this is just normal. I heard a statistic just about a week ago that the average church in America baptizes only seven people in an entire year. Only seven. Now listen. This year, we're probably going to baptize around 150 plus people because we've been baptizing 15 a month. So can we celebrate? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's just never get used to or take for granted all the people that are coming to know Christ and making that public through baptism. Let's always get super excited about that. Today we're continuing our summer series uh, from Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. We've called this Insights from a Wise Guy. It's going to be about 10 weeks throughout summer, June and July. But inside of the 10 weeks, we're doing a little four-week kind of mini-series tucked in here uh, in Proverbs called Wise and Otherwise. Because those of you that have been reading through the book of Proverbs like I've challenged you to do, reading the chapter that matches the day of the month, you're going to be meeting these five different types of people, five groups of people that we're going to call the wise and the otherwise. You're going to meet the wise we talked about last week. You're going to meet the wicked, the simple, the scoffer, and the fool. Last week we talked about the wise. You want to be wise, make wise decisions. Today we're going to talk about the opposite of the wise, and that is the wicked. This is what you want to avoid. This is what you want, want to not be. Now this may seem like a little bit of a negative message talking about the wicked. My daughter, I think, asked me, you know, Dad, what are you preaching on? And I said, the wicked. She's like, oh. Ah, that doesn't sound like fun, but sometimes we need to be warned of what not to be, amen, and to stay away from. So I don't know what you guys think about when you think about wicked people, you know, you think about somebody's wicked, what, what's the image? Here's a couple people that I came up with thinking about the way, would you consider this guy wicked? Remember this guy, the Joker? Here's another example of somebody you might think of, any Harry Potter fans out there? I'm not a big Harry Potter fan, but what I'm told is I can't, I'm not supposed to say this guy's name, is that right? It's the name of which we don't speak, so I'm going to take people's word for it. And then most of us can remember this wicked character from the movies. Remember this guy? Yeah. And it's coming back, okay? All right? But I tell you, when I think of someone wicked, my, almost my entire life, there's one person, when I hear wicked and think of the way, this is who I always think about right here. I can't attend you here now as I'd like. But the wicked witch of the West. Name. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I still have nightmares about that witch. About the only thing more wicked than the Wicked Witch of the West is those monkeys that she has flying around. They, I still have nightmares about the, the monkeys. Well, today we're going to talk about the wicked uh, from Proverbs. But this group of people that are called the wicked, uh, they don't you know, wear a black cape. They don't wear a black hat and ride around on, on a broomstick. You're going to find the word wicked or wickedness over 100 times in the 31 chapters of Proverbs. And it's usually in contrast to the wise and, and the righteous. And it's, we're looking here today in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12 through 19. And this really kind of provides a summary of the wicked and what they do and their characteristics that you find throughout Proverbs. But in, in these verses here from 12 to 19, it gives us everything we need uh, to know about the wicked. So let's just begin in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 12. Now, I don't think any of us would, would consider ourselves wicked. Hopefully not. And if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're, God doesn't look at you as wicked. He looks at you as a saint, even though we don't always act like a saint. Um, he looks at us 
us as a child of God. But even as believers, sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow some of the characteristics of the wicked to find their way into our lives. So we want to stay as far away from these characteristics as we can. He begins to describe the wicked in Proverbs 6.12. And it says, a worthless person, a wicked man. I mean, God says a wicked person is, is worthless. Walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He's always looking to do evil. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity or his punishment, his, his destruction shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. And we know one day God will once and for all deal with all of the wicked. You can read about that in Revelation. And then in verse 16, he says this. There's six things that the Lord what? Hates. The Lord hates. And my mom growing up, she said, you shouldn't use the word hate. No, God doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't hate people. He doesn't even hate the wicked, but he hates the wicked things that they do. There's a difference. If that makes sense, say yes. God hates the wicked things that the wicked do, but he doesn't hate the wicked. And there's six things the Lord doesn't just dislike. He's not fond of. He hates. And then there's a seventh that's an abomination to him. You say, what's an abomination? It means he utterly detests it. It's, it means he really, really hates it. It's even worse than hate. So we're going to look at these seven characteristics of the wicked today and make sure we avoid any of them creeping into our life. And the very first one we face almost every day. If we're not careful, some of you may have faced it before you even came to church this morning. So I hope you'll take some notes. Number one, what does God hate? He hates the fact that the wicked are prideful. How many of you, if you're honest, you've ever dealt with pride in your life? Okay? If you're not raising your hand, you're dealing with pride right now. You're just like, I'm not raising my hand. We all deal with pride. Notice what it says in verse 17. God hates a proud look. And he's going to start listing the six things he hates and the seven's an abomination. Verse 17. God hates a proud look. Pride tops the list because it's the root and the motivation of all sin. All sin starts with pride. Us wanting to do something our way instead of God's way. Andrew Murray, uh, the theologian, said this. The truth is this. Pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. It was pride that caused uh, Satan to fall. Some people say, where did Satan come from? Where did the devil come from? The ultimate wicked person. Um, he was a created angelic being of God. God created him. But his name hasn't always been Satan and the devil. You remember what his name was in eternity past? Lucifer. His name was Lucifer. And he was an angelic being that led other angels in worship of God until one day, Isaiah 14 says he was lifted up with pride and he had an eye problem. You can read about it in Isaiah 14. He said, I want to sit where God sits. I want to do what God does. I want to be like God. I want to be in the place of God. And it was his pride that led to his fall. You go to the garden where we're human beings, you know, Adam and Eve, the fall of man. What was it that led them to eat of the tree that God said, don't eat of this tree. The day you do, you'll die. It was pride. They wanted to be like God. They were already like God. Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God, but they didn't want just that. They wanted to be God. And so it led to their, their fall. You know, last week we talked about the characteristics of the wise, being wise and making wise decisions. And one of the characteristics of the wise is that wise people listen to wise words. You remember that? Say yes. Remember that last week? And, and you know what it takes to be wise and listen to wise words? It takes the opposite of pride. It takes humility. 
humility. But today we're looking at the opposite of humility, which is pride. And if we're not careful, pride can show up in our lives in so many different ways. It can rear its ugly head and it can cause all kinds of problems in all kinds of relationships. Pride leads to problems in your family, in your marriage, with your kids, with your parents. Pride causes problems in our finances and our financial decisions. Pride causes problems in our friendships. Pride causes problems at work. Pride causes problems in our spiritual growth. If you want to stunt your spiritual growth, just allow your pride to dictate your decisions instead of God's word dictating your decisions. And it's going to stunt your growth and your walk with the Lord and what he wants to do in your life. One way to remember the problem of pride is the middle letter of the word pride is what? It's I. I. It's an I problem. We want to make sure that we don't fall into selfish uh, pride where it's me, myself, and I. We should ask ourselves, you know, where does pride seem to rear its ugly, ugly head in our, our life? Now, the good news is there's a remedy to pride. And, and the opposite of pride is what? Being humble, humility. And 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter said this. And all of you, not, not, not just some of you, not most of you. How many? All of you. We need to all do this every day. Dress yourselves in what, church? Humility. You know, every day, I, I'm assuming that most of you, if not all of you, when you get up, you make sure you put some clothes on before you leave the house. That's a good thing to do, okay? You, you make a decision every day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress myself, I'm going to put some clothes on. We need to make sure we dress ourselves spiritually just like we dress ourselves physically because if we just go out into the world and don't, don't dress ourselves in humility, we have dressed ourselves in pride. We make a conscious decision every day, am I going to humble myself before the Lord today? Am I, am I going to submit to Him today instead of allowing pride to control my life? Dress yourself in humi humility as you relate to one another. Because humility will help all of our relationships. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to who? To the humble. God gives grace to the humble. D.L. Moody said it this way. I like this statement. He said, I believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. We must be emptied before we can be filled. One of the things that God hates, a characteristic of the wicked, is pride, being prideful. Let's stay as far away from that as we can. Number two, another characteristic of the wicked we want to watch out for is God hates the fact that the wicked tell lies. The wicked tell lies. Look at verse 17. God hates a proud look and a lying what? Tongue, a lying mouth, a lies. I heard a story about a pastor who came to his congregation one Sunday. It was at the end of his message. He said, now next week, I'm going to talk about the sin of lying. And to prepare you guys, I want to ask you to read Mark chapter 17 in preparation for the message on lying next week. He said, how many will do that? And they, everybody raised their hand. Next Sunday, he got ready to start his message. And he said, how many of you took time this week to read Mark chapter 17? Almost everybody raised their hand. He said, well, the only problem is Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my message on lying. Because <laughs> we can all struggle with this at times. There was, a, there was a book that came out in the 1990s. It was a study. It was called The Day America Told the Truth. And they anonymously surveyed all these people in America, and their conclusion was this, that Americans admitted that 9 out of 10 Americans lie on a regular basis to some degree. 9 out of 10, 90%. Isn't that encouraging this morning? We're a bunch of liars. We can't trust anybody. But, but God hates lying, and he hates that the wicked lie. You know why God hates lying? Here's why. Because we serve a God of truth. 
an amen there would be fine. That'd be just a good place, right? Because God is the opposite of the wicked, and we serve a God of truth. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, says it this way. Our God, he is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of, say it, church, a God of truth. What did our Savior, Jesus Christ, say? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. You see, when God sees a lie, he doesn't just see it as an act of our speech, but he sees it as a deadly poison that we inject into relationships, and it destroys, and it causes havoc and all kinds of problems. And when we choose to lie and be deceitful, it it harms our relationships. I mean, you want to mess your marriage up? Just start lying to your spouse. Amen, marriages? You just start lying to your spouse, you're just asking for trouble. You know, kids, you, you be dishonest with your parents. That's one of the things we try to always teach our kids. You, listen, you can do anything, but don't lie to us. Tell us the truth. Be honest. We can deal with that. We can work with that. You know, lying to people at work, lying to friends, lying to other believers. Lying injects poison into all of our relationships. Now, we have to ask ourselves this question every day that we get up. Who am I going to open the door of my life to today? As I walk out the door, who am I opening the door of my life to? And God hates lying because when we choose to be deceitful and lie, we open the door wide open to Satan, to our enemy. Because that is lying is his M.O. It's his mode of operation. It's the way God's character is truth. Satan's character is lies. And it always has been this way. Jesus said this in John 8, 44. He, speaking of our enemy Satan, he has always hated what, church? The truth. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. None. And when he lies, he's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. It was a lie in the garden that led You know, Adam and Eve to take of the tree. God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except this one tree. Don't jack with this tree. Because the day you eat of this tree, what did God say? What's going to happen to him? You're going to surely die. Satan came along and said, God didn't say that. God didn't mean that. You're not going to die. And they fell for the lie and they plunged all of us and humanity into sin. And lying opens the door for Satan, the enemy. Lying makes us a puppet in Satan's hands. But on the flip side, the good news is this. When we choose to be open and honest and tell the truth, even when it's difficult and it hurts, when we tell the truth, it opens the door for God to work in our life. Because God's character is truth. He's a God of truth. John 8, 32, one of our favorite verses if we've been around the Bible anytime. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you what? It'll set you free. It'll set you free, even when it's, it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. And, and, and we're, we're afraid of the consequences, but the freedom is worth it. And maybe God is speaking to some of you this morning, right now. I mean, this is what you needed to hear. There's something in your life that you need to be honest about. There's somebody you need to be honest with and allow God to set you free. Don't play in the hands of Satan by telling lies because the wicked are prideful. They tell lies. Here's the third thing that God hates. God hates, verse 17, it says, hands that shed innocent blood. People that shed innocent blood are called murderers. God hates murder. The wicked murder. Now, I'm going to trust and believe the best in all of you guys that no one in this room struggles with this one, okay? If you do, please leave right now, okay? I'm trusting that we have no murderers here. 
I, I actually was doing some study about murder, preparing for this message, and I was checking the statistics, and I was amazed what I found about murder in the United States. Did you know that murder in the United States is actually at about a 50-year low? That's a good thing, amen? It's starting to reach historic numbers back in the 1960s that physical murder of someone else shedding innocent blood is actually at an all-time low in a physical sense. So how do I apply this to us today? I would say this, that murder on a physical sense may be at an all-time low, but murder, I think, in a spiritual sense may be at an all-time high. And it may be that Christians are the most guilty and let me tell you what I'm talking about. It's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 21. Look at what he said. He said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. That, that's, what, that's what God said. But if you notice, Jesus never lowers the spiritual bar. He always raises it. Jesus comes along and says, I know, you know it's really bad if you murder and you're going to be judged. But let me take it a step further. Jesus said, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Some of your Bibles say if you hate someone, if you're angry or you hate someone, God says that's like you've murdered them in, in your heart. It's just like Jesus said, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery. But I say if you look on someone and you lust in your heart, you already committed spiritual adultery. Same is true in this area. And, and I think if we're not careful, church, and this is where it's going to get uncomfortable for just a minute and really challenge all of us. Oh, we would never be guilty of the physical act of murder, but are we ever guilty of the spiritual act of murder? Because of somebody we hate, somebody we're angry with? Because let me remind you, God hates murder, but he loves the murderer. He loves the murderer. He doesn't love what they do, but he loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's the old saying, hate the sin, what? Love the sinner. And you know, right now, we, this hits home right here in our community here in Denver because we got a guy on trial, James Holmes, who was a murderer, create, you know, um, did a, a horrible thing, a horrible crime, violated God's word, took innocent lives. And there's a lot being said about James Holmes right now because, you know, he's in the news all the time and his trial is going on and all of this. But I would say this, I hate what James Holmes did. But I am not allowed as a Christian to hate James Holmes. James Holmes today doesn't need a lawyer. He doesn't need a psychiatrist. He doesn't need rehab. You know what he needs, church? He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. Now, is he still going to face consequences for his actions? And should he? Absolutely. But God loves him. And God wants to reach him as much as he wants to reach us. God hates murder because he's the giver of life, but he does not hate the murderer. So let's not be guilty of sometimes having this characteristic of murder because of our hatred and our anger. And, and I'm, let me just, just say just a little bit more about this because you guys are already uncomfortable, so I might as well push it a little further. We got to be careful as Christians. This kind of stuff that we say and post on social media that, that I look, I read some of the things that people say on social media, like on Facebook, about people, and I go, that's not loving. We don't have to agree with what they did, and we can hate their action, but my Bible tells me, as Christians, we're still supposed to pray for them and reach them for Christ. And I think we need to be careful with that, or we can fall into the hands of our enemy and the same kind of wickedness that wicked people do, and we don't want to do that. 
Here's the fourth thing. We'll move on because you guys are getting uncomfortable. All right, number four. God hates the fact that wicked people make wicked plans. Verse 18. God hates a heart that devises wicked plans. Wicked people sit around and they dream up and they imagine ways to do evil. I mean, it's not like they just mess up every once in a while. I mean, they get up thinking, how can I be evil today? I mean, again, I'll go back to James Holmes. I mean, one of the things they've got him on, on trial is that he had this whole diary and this journal of all the wicked plans that he planned to do. And really, those that are wicked, that devise wicked plans, this is a really sad misuse of the gift of imagination that God has given us. I believe that God has given us the gift of imagination. And, and the gift of imagination can be used for good or it can be used for evil. I've seen it be used for good, especially in my home with my daughter, Caitlin. We call her her Missy. She has one of the most incredible, amazing imaginations I have ever seen. I mean, there is never a dull moment in our house with Missy around. And it started when she could first start talking and walking at like two years old. We've got a picture. This is Missy when she was about three. This was a normal daily occurrence. You know, and again, I've told you guys, she's a teenager now. She's 17, almost 18, so I have to clear all these things with her. So I showed her this picture I was going to use today. She's like, oh, you can use that one. I was really cute. <laughs> so I got the green light on this one. She was, she was excited. But, but this was a daily occurrence. She would go into her room, and she'd put all these dress-up clothes on, and then she would come out, and she'd have this song that she made up, or she'd put on a program. And we're like, where does this stuff come from? She had this incredibly amazing imagination. And when she would come out every time, and we'd hear, I mean, we heard, if I heard this once, I heard it a thousand times. She'd come out to do a song or to do a show or, or some kind of play, and she would always say the same thing. As, as early as she could talk, she would come out dressed like this, and she'd say this, prepare to be amazed. <laughs> and she still, to this day, prepare to be, it's a joke in her own. I said, man, I can't wait till she gets married one day, and as the father, I get to do the toast, you know, for the, the bride. And I'm going to tell her husband, I just got one thing to say to you. <laughs> Prepare to be amazed. <laughs> Prepare to be amazed. She's got this amazing imagination and we love it. But the same imagination that can be so lovely and wonderful and do good, a wicked person uses it for evil. One writer said this, the imagination is the womb out of which either evil or good is born. People who can plan evil things that hurt others can also plan good things that will help others. Now, when we think about our imagination, where does our imagination come from? We tend to think that it comes from our head, but according to the Bible, it doesn't. You know where our imagination starts? It starts in our heart. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 says this, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his, say it, church, of his heart was only evil continually. Our, our imagination starts in our heart to do good or to do evil. This is why it is so important. And throughout the scriptures, over and over, you read, guard your heart, watch your heart, keep your heart clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. That's a big statement. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. Allow God to get a hold of your heart. Allow God to shape and mold your heart and your imagination to do good and not to do evil. And maybe for some of you today, God wants you to have a change of heart. And only God can change someone's heart. 
God may want to change your heart today to do good plans, to do good plans. So what are some of the things God hates? The characteristics of the wicked, he hates pride, he hates lying, he hates murder, he hates um, wicked plans. Here's the fifth one. God hates the fact that the wicked run to evil. It says here in verse 18, the second part of the verse, that God hates feet that are swift in running to evil. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Notice in, in verse 18 of Proverbs, there's a progression from what starts in the heart and then it makes its way to the feet. And would you all agree that if we're not careful, our feet can get us into trouble? Our feet can take us to the wrong places with the wrong people. And, and, and what the Bible says here, it warns that God hates feet that are swift and running to evil. Feet that are just looking to do evil and get in trouble all the time. Our, our feet. We've got to be careful about our feet. Now, I had a joke about feet. And I told it in the 8 o'clock service. And it bombed. It didn't go very well. But you never know with the 8 o'clock crowd because they're not really awake half the time. And so I'm really hesitant whether I should tell you guys this joke or not because I wasn't sure with the 8 o'clock crowd. So do you want to hear it or not? Okay. Okay. We'll just take a vote right now. All right. How many want to hear my feet joke? Okay. All right. Well, that's definitely the majority. So here it comes. If you don't like it, you asked for it. So there was this guy and he had really smelly feet. And he couldn't get a date because his feet always smelled. And he didn't know what to do and he wanted to get married. So when online dating came out, he was really excited because he's like, well, I can date online and they can't smell my feet. And so he met this lady and she was from another state and they, they, they connected online and they fell in love. And what he didn't know about her is she was doing online dating for the same reason, but it wasn't her feet. She had really bad breath. Horrible breath and everything she tried, she couldn't, she couldn't have clean breath. Well, they fell in love online. They decided to get married. And the first time they were going to meet, they actually met and they got married. And then they went right off to their honeymoon and it's their honeymoon night. And, and they're there in their hotel room. And she runs into the bathroom to start brushing her teeth and gargling with mouthwash because she's worried about her breath. And so he's in the bedroom and he's taking off his shoes and his socks and he, he's like, what do I do? So he throws them under the bed and he tries to hide them. And then she comes out of the bathroom and he's like, well, let me go in there for a second. He goes in and he's washing his feet and he's putting powder on them and doing everything to make sure his feet smell clean. And then he comes out of the room and they have their very first embrace. And she said, wait, wait just a second before we kiss for the first time. There's something I have to tell you. And he said, wait, let me guess. You ate my socks. <laughs> hey, that was better than the first service. <laughs> That's my only feet joke, that foot joke that I have. I actually got that from my father-in-law. So, you know, if you didn't like the joke, talk to him. If you did, talk to me, okay? But we got we to gotta watch out for our feet. <laughs> I know it's bad. We don't want to have feet that are swift and running to evil. I mean, our same feet that take us to church and to do good things can take us to the wrong places with the wrong people and do the wrong things. Now, now here's what the challenge, I think, for us as believers. God hates the wicked and the, fact, the, the characteristic of the wicked and the fact that their feet are quick to run to do evil and to sin and get in trouble. Wouldn't it be great if as Christians we did the opposite and, and that our feet are just as quick to do good than to do evil? If we woke up every day and said, I want to make sure that my feet today are quick to run to serve God, to, to walk with God, to tell other people about my relationship with Jesus, 
uh, to be on mission with God, that I, that I get up every day to, to fulfill the will and plan of God for my life. Wouldn't it be great is if all of us as Christians were just as quick to do good as the wicked are to do evil. Can you imagine how different our lives would be? And I think that's our challenge. And you know what? You may think that you don't have pretty feet. You know, I know some people, they think they have nice feet. You can always tell because they're always wearing like the sandals, you know, like January because they, they, they like their feet. And then there's other people, you know, it's like July and it's 110 outside and they got shoes on. But you know what? As believers, there's something that you can do to make your feet beautiful. And, and, and Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. You want to have beautiful spiritual feet? Share your faith. Tell people about Jesus. That's a way we can do good and run to good and not to evil. Number six, something else that God hates. God hates this characteristic of the wicked. The wicked deny God's word. And this is a big one. They deny God's word. Look at verse 19. God says, I hate a false witness who speaks lies. A false witness who speaks lies. Now, this is more than just lying about any old lie. This is someone who claims to be a messenger of God and to be a Christian and a spokesman for God, but they tell lies against God's word. What they say doesn't line up with God's word. And they also tell lies not only about God's word, but about God's son, Jesus. These are the wicked people that they claim to be Speaking in the, for the voice of God, but they're, they're, what they say is in opposition to God's word and God's son. 1 John 4.1, John, he uh, warned us about this. He said, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the spirit they have comes from where, church? From God. How many of you have recognized that not everybody who claims to be a messenger of God and as a Christian is? You recognize that. And you notice this because they speak against God's word and his son. For there are many, not a few, not just one or two, there are many false prophets in the world. People who are false prophets, false witnesses that speak against God's word. This is why it's so important that we know what this book says and that we know how to defend it. People ask us all the time questions like, you know, what does Orchard Church believe about this subject or this doctrine? What does Pastor Doug believe about this subject or this doctrine? And we always say the same thing. It doesn't matter what Orchard Church believes. It doesn't matter what Pastor Doug believes. It doesn't matter what our staff believe. Listen, Orchard Church, it only matters what this book says. That's all that matters. And one of the values we have here at Orchard Church is this value. We always ask this question. What does the Bible say? Let's all say that together. What does the Bible say? You know, we can save ourselves a lot of heartache and trouble if we will always ask that question. We talked last week about asking wise questions. That's the first and wisest question you should ever ask in any decision, in any situation. What does the Bible say? And then be willing to do what the Bible says. This is why discipleship is at the heart of Orchard Church and everything we do. Because we want to help people be grounded in the word of God. So when false teachers and false prophets come along and do wicked things and try to get people off course from God's word. That they know what God's word says. That they're prepared for that. And, and let me just quickly say this. There's, I think there's three real key indicators when you're dealing with a false witness that speaks lies against God and his word. One is they will tell you, if you want to have your sins forgiven, if you want to go to heaven, then you must do these certain things. And they teach works for salvation. 
And yet my Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. We are not saved by anything we do or don't do. We're saved by what Jesus did on the cross for us and accepting him by faith. Amen? And yet what's amazing is 98% of the religions of the world teach some kind of works for salvation. And, and, and when somebody tells you that, that's a false witness against God's word. Another one is this. When people try to tell you that Jesus was a good person and Jesus was a prophet and Jesus was the son of God. Now that all sounds really good. But they don't believe that he was God. We believe that Jesus was and is God. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. In the beginning, the word was with God and the word was God. We don't believe Jesus was just a good person and just the son of God and a prophet. We believe he was God in the flesh. Watch out for that. And then the third one is the false witnesses and false prophets, they always have their own Bible. They've added to the canon of scripture. What, what do we believe is the Bible here at Orchard Church? We believe in the 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. And we take very seriously that at the end of Revelation, God said, okay, the Bible is complete. Don't jack with it. That's my kind of interpretation. He said, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. But the false witnesses, they've always said, oh, we got a little extra we want to put with this. And, and God says, no, 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 I hate that. I hate false witnesses who speak lies. And then let's look at the seventh one. This is the one we really want to avoid. Now, this, this seventh one, remember, six things God hates that the wicked do, these characteristics. And the seventh is what? Abomination. I mean, God detests it. He despises it. I mean, this is the worst of the worst. Now, you, you're probably thinking, wow, this must be a really bad one. I mean, what is this? I mean, if it's murder, is it worse than murder? Is it worse than lying? I'm just telling you, this, God says this is worse than the other six. And it's going to surprise some of you what it is. Here's what it is. The wicked sow discord. The wicked sow discord. Look at verse 19. The seventh thing that God says in abomination. And one who sows discord among the brethren. You know who the brethren are? How many are would consider yourself a Christian? Child of God. Okay? Guess what? You're a brethren. Okay? We're, we're part of God's family. The children of God. And God says, more than anything, I want my kids to get along. I want them to be unified as one. Psalm 133 verse 1 says it this way. How wonderful and pleasant is it when the brothers, the children of God, the family of God, live together in what, church? In unity. Everybody say unity. unity. That's God's desire. Now, again, if that's God's plan and that's God's desire, that we are one in Christ and we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are unified and we're one and we love each other, if that's what God wants more than anything else, guess what Satan wants? Division, discord, fighting, gossip, problems. And God says, oh, that breaks my heart. That's an abomination because it goes against the picture that just like we're one in Christ, he wants us to be one with each other and unified. Parents, you get this. Those of you that are parents, don't you understand how dear it is to your heart? Those of you that have children and you have multiple children, you want your kids to get along. Can I have an amen, parents? Can I have a what, what? Can I have a something, a fist bump? Parents that have multiple kids, you want your kids to get along. My kids sometimes ask me, especially when they're younger, Daddy, what do you want for Christmas? I just want you guys to get along. What do you want for your birthday? Just get along. 
What do you want for Father's Day? I just want you guys to get along. You know, I thought when my son went off to college last year, now my kids will get along. Well, they did while he was in college. But he came home for the summer. And I thought, hey, he's home for the summer. You know, he's got a year of maturity under his belt. My daughter's got another mature, year of maturity under her belt. They'll get along this summer. They'll love each other. They'll be holding hands. It'll be great. They still don't get along. <laughs> it's like, when is it ever going to end? But, but we want that for our kids. We want that in our family. And God wants that for his kids. And, and, and what wicked people do and what the wicked one tries to do is to divide us and to separate us and conquer us and cause disunity among us. Now, let me say this, church. And I, I just want to spend the next couple of moments as we wrap this up sharing my heart. Orchard Church is going to celebrate our 10th anniversary this coming fall. If you haven't yet, put this date on your calendar, September 20th. You, this is going to be a historic day. We're going to celebrate our 10th anniversary. We're going to get to do something we haven't done in about six years here at Orchard Church. We're going to have one unified service with everybody. You're all like, where are we going to put them? We're going to be meeting outside in the stadium at Prairie View High School. We're going to all meet. We're going to bring in a stage and band. It's going to be an awesome, exciting day. We're going to be kicking off some exciting things for the fall. I can't wait. And for 10 years, praise God that we have had incredible unity here at Orchard Church. I mean, I know friends of mine that have started churches. They're, they're 8, 10 years in, and they've already had like two or three church splits. People can't get along. We have never had a church split in 10 years. Praise God. Amen. To God be the glory. I mean, we have gotten along. We have loved each other. We have cared for each other. We have been unified as a church in reaching people to Christ and making disciples in this community. I mean, it's one of the great things about this church. I have guests that I talk to all the time that say, man, the moment I walked into the doors of Orchard Church, I realized this is a special place. People really want to be here. They're excited to be here. They, they love each other. They care about each other. There's, they're, they're, they have relationships with one another. It's a unified church. And I mean, we thank God for that. But listen, with everything that God is doing, with the thousands we've seen come to Christ, with the hundreds of thousands we've seen baptized, with an opportunity, we've got the land next door now that we own, and Lord willing, we're going to be breaking ground to build our first permanent building in January or February of next year. And with everything that God is doing, let me ask you this question, church. Do you think the wicked one, Satan, our enemy, is happy about what is going on at Orchard Church? He is ticked off. And he is upset. And don't think for a second he isn't going to try to stop what God is doing here. we got to be ready for this. we got to be prepared for this. And, and you know what? I, I'm not worried about the, what the world is saying about us. You know, every once in a while we'll get an anonymous email. They're always anonymous. Anonymous email. Somebody will come to one of our services. I didn't like the music. I didn't like the message. Whatever. You know, I understand that. We're not for everybody. I'm not worried about the world out there, though, because you know what? This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is Jesus' church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm not worried about that. Here's what worries me, what Satan could try to do from the inside out to divide us. You know, we're going into a building opportunity and all that. And boy, I've had pastors tell me, just be ready. People are going to be fighting over the color of the carpet. And people are going to be fighting over the seats and fighting over this. And I'm like, I hope not. Because you know what? We're excited about a building and a permanent facility and what God's going to allow us to do. But that's just a tool, church. That's just a tool. 
What's most important is that we're reaching people for Jesus Christ and making disciples. That's what's most important. And this just gives us a greater opportunity to do that. And, and let me say this. I, this year is my 25th year in full-time vocational ministry, this year. And, and let me say this. I, I, if there's one thing I've learned in being a pastor and being in leadership is if you try to make everybody happy, you'll make nobody happy. And, and we have to, I have to make decisions. Our leadership team has to make decisions. Our executive council has to make decisions. We have to make decisions, not what is best for me, not what is best for any other person or one group of people, but what is best for Orchard Church for us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we make decisions I don't even like, but I know it's best for the church. And we just got to be prepared because if Satan is going to try to divide us, it'll be from the inside out questioning decisions that we make as a church as we move forward and leadership. We haven't had that happen yet. But just we got to prepare ourselves that Satan is going to try to sow discord. We need to prepare ourselves now. And let me just say this, church. If we make a decision that you don't get or you don't understand, listen, you could always come and talk to us. We, we are an open book. We have nothing to hide. We'll tell you. And, and you, maybe we have to agree to disagree. Maybe we can explain the decision. We're here. We have nothing to hide. We're just trying to do what God is leading us to do. I had a couple in our church, been in our church for years, just recently, there was a decision that was made that they didn't quite understand, and they heard some rumors, which are the tools of Satan to cause discord, and, and, I, and they came, and they said, can, can we talk to you guys? And we said, absolutely. They came in, they met with us, we talked, and they were so apologetic, we're so sorry to bother you, we're so sorry we're bringing this to you, we don't understand. And I thanked them. I said, thank you. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for asking. Some of the rumors were completely false and not true. It was just people trying to sow discord, uh, people that don't, don't even go to Orchard Church any longer. And we were able to talk it through. It was an incredible meeting. We prayed together. We hugged each other. They're as involved and committed to Orchard Church as they've ever been. That's how you handle things right. Amen, church? Amen. So we're, we're here. Listen, if you're looking for a church where we all agree on every decision and everybody agrees with the pastor and all his decisions, you're not looking for a church. You're looking for a cult. <laughs> and I don't want to be a part of no cult. Amen? So let's be prepared and let's recognize that Satan wants to try to divide us. And you know what? I know this, that, that Satan's going to try to do this and his wicked plan because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, prayed for Orchard Church. Do you know that? He prayed for all of us. Let me show you what I'm talking about right here in this passage. Can we put it up there? Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, his disciples at the time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, y'all. That's us. And what did he pray for us? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be one in us. And why do I want them to be unified? Why do I want them to be one? Here's why. That the world may believe that you sent me. Did you catch that, church? Don't miss this. Wow. Our unity and our love for each other is supposed to be a picture to the world that brings other people to God. That people say, you know what? I want to know that kind of love. I want to know that kind of care. I want to know that kind of encouragement. I mean, think of it this way. How can non-Christians ever believe that God loves them if God's children can't love each other? But I believe we have an incredible opportunity with our love and our unity and our care for one another to be a picture of God's love for the world. So as we wrap this up this morning, let's just make sure 
that none of these characteristics of the wicked are found in our lives. Let's be wise and not otherwise. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges uh, this morning. May we apply it to all of our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, let me just ask you this quick, simple question. How many of you this morning would say, as a believer, I want to make sure that none of these characteristics of the wicked find their way into my life? Because I know sometimes they slip in. Would you slip up your hand for prayer? Yes, hands everywhere. Mine's up with you. Father, pray, I would pray that we would not have any of the characteristics of the wicked, that we would be the opposite of the wicked, that we would be wise and not otherwise for your honor and glory and for our good. So continue in prayer for just a moment with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this question. If you're here today, you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God loves you. The, the, the truth is this. Before any of us accepted Christ, we were wicked. We were sinners, separated from God. But God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for us, to turn us from wicked to wise, to turn us from out of God's family to in God's family. To turn us from sinners to saved. And maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to open your heart and life to Jesus, to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life so you could walk with him and make wise decisions. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you could pray from your heart to God's right now where you sit. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put belief and faith behind it, like so many of you around you have done, you can invite Jesus into your life today. Today can be the day that you experience the love of Christ. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? From your heart to God's and mean it, it goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I call on you today. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving and forgiving me. Thank you. With heads bowed, nice clothes, no one looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith and you meant it, I'd love the privilege to pray for you right now as you begin your journey with Jesus Christ and you grow in your relationship with him. Would you just slip up your hand for prayer? Anyone like that this morning, just put it up. God bless you, young man. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just put it up and put it down so I can see real quick. Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith to invite Jesus into my life. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust into you today. I pray that they grow in their relationship with you in the days forward. Lord, help us to be wise and not otherwise and apply these very practical truths as we continue to study through the book of Proverbs. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Christ this morning? Amen. If you made a decision for Christ this morning, we'd love to know about that. Please let us know that on your connection card. Drop in the offering bucket when it goes by so we can continue to pray for you. If you're a first-time guest today, thanks for being our guest here at Orchard Church. Uh, hopefully you filled out your guest connection card. You can drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. First-time guests, listen, we're not interested in your money today, but we're definitely interested in you. So let us know who you are. We'll send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. Uh, one thing, other thing I want to share with you guys real quick before we close in a song of worship and worship through our giving. I want to thank you guys so much for your faithfulness and your generosity uh, to the Lord and putting God first in your giving here at Orchard Church. We're able to do some amazing things, not only in this community, but around the world because of your generosity and faithful giving. One of our, our missionaries that we love so much, the Rezgas, April and Adolfo Rezga are in Orizaba, Mexico. Marcial came from their ministry and we've sent mission teams down there. We have a feeding center there, done a lot of things to help their ministry. They ran into a great problem uh, in the last six months. They outgrew the facility that they've been renting. 
It's, it's, it's too small. They have too many people. Isn't that something to celebrate, church? And so we, we praise God for that. So they found another place to rent, but it needed a lot of renovation. So they asked us, would you all be able to send us some project money uh, to help with the renovations? And we said, absolutely. And we said, we might be able to do better than that. And we said, we're going to try to find some men in our church that have some skills in electrical and drywall and painting and things like that. And so we, had, we found three men in our church that were willing uh, to, to leave their jobs for a week. And on Tuesday, they will be leaving and they'll be going to Orizaba, Mexico and serving for an entire week, helping with the remodel project. And, and because they've taken the step of faith and because of your generosity, not only did we send several thousand dollars in project money, but we're paying their entire way to go because of the generosity of your giving. So can we praise God for that? Here's a picture. These are the three guys that are going. Uh, Patrick Whittier, James Ham, Oscar Gonzalez. These are the three men that are going. So you guys be in prayer for them as they are an extension of the ministry of this church in Orizaba uh, next week. Please, please keep them in prayer. Let's stand as we close in a song of worship. Worship through our giving. Thank you guys for your generosity. God bless you.